0: Well, this morning is Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, as, as some say. And this is the last Sunday of the Christian church calendar year. Something that we always know to be true about Christ the King Sunday is that it will always follow an election in an election year. It's always the last Sunday before Advent. And in an election year, we know that this special day is coming just following a season of campaigns, of debates, and voting decisions of power and leadership. The significance of this Sunday might have different answers from from various pastors that you talk to, but the description I've heard that I I like and think fits the best um, is that it's a day to affirm God's reign over empires that do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a day that reminds us that we are a part of God's kingdom first and that this is the kingdom that we are working towards. And because it's the last day of the Christian calendar year, it also gives us an opportunity to look back over this last year to reflect on what we have done to participate in ministry, to participate in kingdom work. Every year on New Year's, Brad and I talk about our, well on New Year's Eve, Brad and I talk about our top five favorite memories from this last year. It's just one of those cheesy things that I must have picked up from a Hallmark movie somewhere at some point, but regardless, over dinner, we talk about our most joy-filled or fulfilling experiences from the year. It's part of our culture to look back as we are hopeful for what's ahead and what's in store for a new year so how appropriate that the last sunday of the christian calendar would be the last sunday before the start of advent the season that we allow our hearts to be stirred as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our messiah the birth of our god of new beginnings So this morning, as we allow the word to do a work in our hearts, we begin from a place that reflects on the year that we have had. We reflect on the ways that we have served. We reflect on the ways that we have seen God's kingdom breaking forth like a light through the darkness around us. We reflect on our hopes for the future. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning. in your living room or wherever you find yourself as you're viewing this service, if you have your Bible with you, would you do me a favor and open it up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46. Or maybe uh, you're like me and you often like to use the Bible app on your phone as well. So um, the version Bible app is a great tool for that. So Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46, read. Now when the human one comes in his majesty, and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you then the king will reply to them i assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you have done it for me then he will say to those on his left get away from me you who will receive terrible things Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or... A stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you. Then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous ones will go into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh when I finish reading a scripture and it ends with such harsh words, it can be difficult to say thanks be to God. I was I was reminded of that this week as I was preparing this word, but I think it's good for our hearts to be unsettled sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like it reminds us that God means business with these words and takes the instructions in them very seriously. And also that we don't always like to be held accountable. It's not always fun being told that we might be a part of a group that is idle. These words from Jesus were spoken to, to his disciples just before Jesus was arrested. His teachings these last couple weeks were on parables about the kingdom of God, the bridesmaids and the lamp oil. Then last week on the talents and the multiplying of our efforts. So then this week, These words are spoken just before the passion, just before Jesus is betrayed and then crucified. And this passage is one that many of us are familiar with, a passage that causes us to take a step back and ask ourselves if we are the sheep or the goats Jesus is talking about. We look for ourselves in the story. Right, Because we see that there are those on Jesus' right who are praised for their acts of generosity in caring for the hurting and those in need. And then there are those on the left who have ignored the cries of the hurting in the world. But something that's interesting in this passage is that neither the righteous or unrighteous really understand what Jesus is saying to them, right? Neither the sheep or the goats, right? So Jesus applauds those who have been doing the work of the kingdom, feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, and then they respond asking him when they have done these things. When have they done these good things? And then Jesus rebukes those on his left saying that they have not cared for him. And they ask the same question of the right, that the righteous did. You know, when did this happen? We see that Jesus feels very strongly about the hungry, the stranger, the alien, the sick, the incarcerated so strongly that he equates with these persons with being the same as him. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever, uh, maybe this is dynamics in your family, or maybe you have a friend that's, that's this way. Um, but I I have a friend who comes from a family of five sisters and Uh, She used to tell me stories about how if somebody ever gave her sister a hard time, she was just like, oh man, she would get so upset and she'd get so defensive, but she would also feel like she could be the only one that could give her sister a hard time. It was okay for her to do it, but not anybody else because they were one as a family. She felt so closely to her, she felt so close to her sister that um, she saw themselves as saw them as being the same in a sense. And then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me. Well, I recently heard a story about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was famous for her care um, of those in the slums of Calcutta. Well, after Mother Teresa died in the 90s, a, a secular NPR reporter interviewed one of Mother Teresa's disciples and, and he asked him, he asked the disciple, what made Mother Teresa so great? What made her great? And the disciple said that she had a simple philosophy for that. Whenever she was caring for the poor, when she was feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, she was encountering Jesus Christ. And the reporter said, "No, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. But what made her great?" He continued to press, "What made her great? Was she a great leader? Did she have a model that she followed when it came to, you know, how she led and her following, right? Did what was it about her? What was it about her that made her so great?" And and the disciple continued to reiterate, you know, "No, she what made her great was that she every encounter that she had She saw it as an encounter with Jesus Christ. And this was just such a foreign concept to this reporter. It was clear that they just couldn't wrap their mind around this. This is just so strange for them to to hear that that is the philosophy that Mother Teresa lived by. And yet this parable that we're reading this morning, we see it clearly. It's it's, It's not hard to see that... This is what drove her life. And verse 40 reads, Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. And I think Mother Teresa knew something deep in her heart that forever changed the world. The way that she lived her life proclaim that Jesus is Lord in all that surrounded her and every person she cared for, the ways that she loved them, proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. And we too are called to live our lives in a way that proclaims that Jesus Christ is still Lord. As you watch the news, as you scroll through articles on your phone, as you view photos and blogs on social media, where do you see snapshots of the American empire? What do those snapshots look like? Is there a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or is there a hunger and thirst for power? Is there a hunger and thirst to care for those who are hurting, marginalized? And then we contrast that and we look at the passage this morning that we read, right? What do the snapshots of God's kingdom reveal to us? What do the snapshots of God's kingdom in this scripture passage reveal to us? We see God's reign breaking into the present. Jesus is making it clear, knowing that he's soon going to be betrayed and that they're going to see a very different empire than what his teaching has has told. And they'll be seeing that in the near future. He knows that it's going to be really hard to see God's kingdom when the Roman Empire holds so much power. As Christ followers, we often live in this place where we know and trust in the reign of Christ. When we're surrounded by empires, by power struggles, we still trust even in the midst of the abuse of power as citizens of the kingdom trusting in god in the midst of things this is a way of life for god's people but not in this passive dismissive way that can sometimes be done you know what i'm talking about right 2020 has brought with it political tensions racial un- uh, racial unrest has come to light a global pandemic to which we say yes Jesus is king, but that's not the end. That's not where the conversation ends. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we don't just say Jesus is king in response to these things as a dismissal dismissal of the situation. We don't say Jesus is king as an excuse to disengage or to pull back from the work that needs to be done. When we say Jesus is king, We say that as citizens of his kingdom, which entrusts us to be active in response to the world around us. Being a part of the church is not a spectator sport, friends. Church is is not just observing the kingdom of God, but embracing God's power at work in us. These words remind us of the scripture we read last week on our, our talents God has given us and, and using them for the kingdom to be multiplied. So as citizens of the kingdom, we know that we have a part to play in proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord by the way we live our lives. And when reading the scripture passage, I was struck with the realities of some things that were not in the scripture passage, right? Maybe you were you noticed that too. Jesus is speaking to two different groups here, not individuals. And while there is a call on our lives individually to respond and engage with the world around us, in this passage there's also a corporate call to the church. These things Jesus is sharing that are so close to his heart are things that we are called to do together. Jesus expects us to do these things together. So mission then becomes redefined when we consider our moves outward to our neighbors and the hurting world around us as moves towards God. I'm going to say that one more time. So mission then becomes redefined when we consider our moves outward to our neighbors and the hurting world around us as moves toward God. This final message for the people of God is not one that was meant to be prescribed to the people as as a law, right? But a call to the people into a way of joyful living with mercy for the other. A way that physically takes our bodies to the places that there is hurting in the world. It takes us to the cross for our families, our community, our nation and the world, these places that there is suffering. One of the greatest challenges that we face this year is figuring out how to be the church with holy imagination when physically we we often cannot be as close as we want to be. And while the needs in our own homes and the homes around ours are great, there are things that we are all learning how to operate within. However, even within these restrictions, I know at times it can be tempting to isolate ourselves. With the parameters on social distancing and wearing masks and all the things to help keep our neighbors safe, the temptation to just stay closed up in our cozy, warm homes is real. Unfortunately, when we stay in our safe little bubbles, we can put up blinders to the needs around us. Friends, even with the continued meeting of worship online throughout this year, church is not canceled. Church has never been canceled. To ignore the hurts and needs of the stranger, the naked, is the very thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage. We have experienced a disruption in our routines this year. We're settling into a new normal and there's a great opportunity for God to do a work in and through us in this season. Our routines being forced to change give us an opportunity to hit the reset button and to ask ourselves, how do my daily, weekly routines point to the reign of Christ in the world? And for many of us, Our routines include spending a whole lot more time at home. However, this is a challenging word for us here because while we physically need to be at a distance from each other, we can't just hibernate until we are past this. We were not created to be cut off from the world around us. And and yet there's this tension that we felt, right? How easy it can be to self-isolate in our suffering when things have been especially hard especially now when no one would blame us, right? And to cut ourselves off. But there's this tension is between this idea of choosing to isolate when things are hard and choosing to cut ourselves off from the world versus suffering in our isolation for thinking of those who need to stay home. They need to stay home to stay safe. And often that has come with suffering from the isolation. We don't want people to be suffering in isolation, but the same is true. To close our eyes, to to close our eyes to, to isolate from the suffering is not the way of the righteousness God is calling us into. And as we read this text, we see that Christ calls us to physically relocate our bodies to be present for the other. While there are many who absolutely need to be in isolation to be safe, we also remember them. We remember those who are at home and that they don't have a choice. We remember those who are immunocompromised, those who are unable to go out. But that being said, in this, we should absolutely take the pandemic seriously. We take our love of neighbor seriously. We practice social distancing. We wear our masks. We do these things that put our love for neighbor first. But we don't allow ourselves to be fooled that no contact at all is the best thing to do. That contact just looks different than it did before. The church has been called to live in mission with creation. Not in total isolation. Every year moving into these colder months can be difficult for many and that's not in the face of a global pandemic. So maybe a good place for us to start here would be asking ourselves, who are the most vulnerable people to the virus in your life? Who are the most vulnerable people in our church? God tells us that it is our responsibility to be caring for them. In what ways could we creatively connect with them? Maybe it's putting up their Christmas lights. Maybe it's coloring them pictures and taping them to the outside windows on their home. Maybe it's becoming pen pals with someone in our church that hasn't been able to go out much. So this year, with the challenges before us, I pray a holy imagination over our community, a holy imagination over you. The true promise of what the presence of God looks like is when the least are experiencing the abundance of God right here and now, and we are a part of that. In the moment we're living in, we need to be looking for places God is showing up in our community. We need to be in prayer for one another. This is such a crucial moment for the church. This week, this moment, this year, the witness of those who gather in Jesus's name cannot afford to domesticate Jesus into a representation of good citizenship, right? The king of the universe cannot be relegated to this distant deity while the cries of the people pour out around us. We cannot suggest, we should not, we must not suggest with our words or our actions that God's activity in the world resembles a spectator when the coronavirus has literally afflicted millions. God is looking to see what we are doing with what we have been given and feels very strongly about us caring for the other. And something that's powerful about Jesus' teaching and preaching is that his actions often come before his words. Would our actions preface our words? Would we meet the needs of our neighbors? And in so doing, meet Jesus in a deep way this season. We're ending ordinary time in the Christian calendar to enter a season of expectation, which is so fitting for this cultural moment, right? My friends, I invite you to be found extending grace, practicing generosity, and demonstrating a godliness that offers a glimpse into what it means to experience the love of Jesus Christ in our world. So as we go this morning, as Paul prayed to his followers in ancient Ephesus, I too pray over you this morning that the Lord of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? Christ Jesus is King. Amen. Amen.